Well, it's the fanboy and the hater One who loves joy and one like Vader One loves pop culture, one thinks it's torture They both think they're right, so let's hear them fight Reviewing movies and what's on TV well, it's the fanboy and the hater Hey, I like that. It was pretty catchy. I hated it. The timing was off and it was out of tune. Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture. Edited by Jim Harris and music by Mike Hall. <laughs> Welcome to Episode 9, a special episode of The Fanboy and the Hater, called In Case You Missed It, Volume 1, because it's comprised of clips from our first eight episodes. New listeners may find this an easier way to discover what this podcast is about, what its name means and doesn't mean, and what topics we discuss on this podcast and how we approach them. All listeners may also find this episode a helpful way to decide which previous episodes you might like to listen to in their entirety. Special note, all of the clips included in this episode are spoiler-free. One of the editing techniques that I use on our podcast is to give you an audio cue when we're transitioning to another segment. The sound that you will hear to let you know that we're doing that is this sound. And that's Mike playing the baseline of our theme song. So without further ado, let's play the first clip from episode one called Origin Story, where we explained what we mean by the word hater in the name of our podcast, as well as the origins of our perspectives on pop culture. So first off, let's talk a little bit about what we mean and what we don't mean by hater. This is Jim the co-host who most often plays the role of hater on this podcast. I wanted to point out that there's a big difference between being a hater and being a dick. And it largely comes down to the difference between hating on something versus hating on someone. If you're hating on something about movies, TV, or pop culture because you dislike it, or as more often the case with me, you simply wish it had been done better, then you're a hater, and that's okay. However, if you're hating on someone because of an opinion that they expressed about movies, TV, or pop culture that you disagree with, or they shared a negative review of a movie or TV show that you love, especially if your response turns into a personal attack or bullying on the basis of something like race, ethnicity, nationality, sexual orientation, or gender identity, then you're not a hater. You're just a dick. Bottom line, it's okay to be a hater. Don't be a dick. So say we all! So say we all! So we thought for our first episode, when we talk about our origin story, we would talk about our origins. What gave us our opinions? Who do we connect with in pop culture as we go forward? 
Well, the second one on my list is actually Peter Parker. Yes, he does become Spider-Man. Spider-Man was pretty much my only comic book attraction as a kid, and also the cartoon series that I started to watch. Even though Batman and Superman were around, I remember Adam West and Burt Ward as the Batman and Robin show, which was before I was born, but still reruns were on TV. I remember the old 1950s Superman show that was in reruns. I also remember the Christopher Reeves Superman movies. But the superhero that really connected with most with me was Peter Parker, because he was a nerdy kid who loved science and got bullied a lot until he got bitten by a radioactive spider and got turned into a superhero. So it was about the only comic book that I collected, somewhat collected on a regular basis. I wasn't a huge comic book kid, but I did collect a small number of Spider-Man comics, and it was one of my favorite cartoon series. And then I also, as I got older in the 80s, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which was an X-Men crossover with Iceman and Firestar, which got me into a slightly wider world, which also included the X-Men. But nowadays, when we, the, the great era of superhero movies and comic book heroes coming to film and TV, it all traces back to me to Peter Parker and Spider-Man, which is why if you ever ask me what my favorite superhero movies are, they're often going to include uh, at the top of that list, Spider-Man, because for me, that's how I got into comics and superheroes. Well, that's a good segue into my next one. As I grew up and you know became nerdy, I started getting into comic books. And as a lot of people into comic books in the late 80s, early 90s, I really connected with Wolverine. I think most people, they really connected with Wolverine because of his attitude. They really liked the claws and the indestructibleness and everything. I connected with Wolverine because I was also a short guy with anger management issues. Wolverine, through the stories that I read, he kind of taught me, you read between the lines, you can see that you can, you can be really tough while still being short, and you can also control your anger. Uh, he really taught me how to not blow up over little things that don't really matter. It took me a long time to figure that out, but reading between the lines and reading Wolverine's stories, you can see how little things really aggravated him, but he didn't do anything about it. He just kind of let it slide off and, you know, he would just go blow off some steam somewhere else rather than blowing up on the person doing it. And that really affected me, again, being a short guy with anger management issues. It's funny, the, the first time I think I ever saw Wolverine was actually in a Spider-Man cartoon, which also reminded me of one of the reasons I liked Spider-Man was because he often would react to angry, aggressive characters with humor first. And actually, that was one of the other things I loved about Peter Parker and Spider-Man was that, that sense of humor and that quippy type action. So there was actually, I don't even remember the context of it, but for some reason, Wolverine wanted to fight Spider-Man and Spider-Man was more interested in joking with Wolverine. Well, in the books, they actually have that dynamic. They're friends that kind of hate each other. <laughs> and it's really funny. I, I love their dynamic together in the books. Again, my era was the X-Men animated series. I love that series. That was a great series. My introduction to the X-Men was through Spider-Man, and it was in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And it was interesting because Spider-Man, because he was friends with Iceman and Firestar, would go help out the X-Men. But mm -hmm. Professor X had to keep telling Spider-Man, it's like, you can't be an X-Man because you're not a mutant. Yeah, yeah. So initially... I didn't like the X-Men because they wouldn't <laughs> let Spider-Man in their club. 
You know, that's actually almost funny. If you're familiar with the X-Men and why they came up with the X-Men, the fact that he was excluded. (laughs) But they did allow him to go with them on missions and stuff like that. Not like they were saying, no, you can't be part of us because you're different. It was saying they were saying this is only for this group of people that are being shunned. You're not being shunned for being a mutant, therefore you can't really be part of this, but we're still willing to work with you. Pop culture shaped my life so much. I don't really talk about it. I've maybe two or three people have ever said anything about this too. But I've often throughout my life struggled very deeply with like depression and anxiety. And having pop culture as a way to escape real life and go to another world where anything is possible, be video games, comic books, movies, music, anything like that is a way that I can just move to another realm where real life issues do not exist anymore. It helps me escape and then come back refreshed. So it has really helped me with that. I also have at various times throughout my life and to a certain extent also currently struggle with depression as well. Many times throughout my life, I did not have many friends and my television was an escape, like I said, whether it would be to a galaxy far, far away or it would be to some bizarre uh, comedy or something funny like the A-Team or something, again, imaginative like animation and something like that. It definitely was a, a welcome break from the real world, and it definitely helped me get through some difficult times. Pop culture in general, and a lot of the shows that we end up talking about on this podcast, have played an important role in our lives, and we do appreciate that. I also did not have a lot of friends growing up, and I escaped into TV quite often. I would hyper-focus into the TV. But really, for me, I didn't have a lot of friends simply because I didn't care or want them. I've always been more of a loner. I've always liked to stay alone. I know people kind of make fun of me because I don't leave my house. As a matter of fact, you have to come here to my house to do this (laughs) podcast. Well, in fairness, you do have the better setup for podcasting. (laughs) Grade school especially, I was friends with the popular kids, but then I never did anything with them because I wanted to do my own thing. I had my own interests which usually went into a nerdy realm. Uh, I know my cousin still gives me crap about how often she heard me yell, I have the power! (laughs) I watched He-Man so much all the time and then really dove into Ninja Turtles. My mom knows more about Ninja Turtles than she would ever care to know because I would never shut up about Ninja Turtles. All that stuff, that became my world. And it helped. It helped with everything. It kept me happy. It always, and continues to keep me happy. It always, when no matter what else is going on, it's a place that I can go and be happy. Episode 2 was a scene-by-scene deep-dive review of and debate over the 2018 movie Solo, A Star Wars Story. Here's a clip. Can I just do a, a little mini rant on the Kessel Run? Do we have time? Sure, we have like, what, two hours? I can do a two-hour rant. I could, actually, sadly, I could do a two-hour rant on the Kessel Run. <laughs> in the original Star Wars movie, In A New Hope, when Luke Skywalker and, and Men Kenobi are trying to find a ship to get them off of Tatooine, Han Solo claims that the Millennium Falcon is the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. It completed the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. 
And for the longest time, people made fun of that because parsec is a unit of distance, not a unit of time. So it was essentially like Han saying, I'm a really fast runner. I ran a marathon in 13 miles. Well, if you ran a marathon in 13 miles, you didn't run a marathon because that's half of a marathon. Plus, telling us that you ran it in 13 miles doesn't tell us you're fast because you didn't tell us how long it took you to run 13 miles. So Star Wars has long been made fun of for getting that one piece of science in your science fiction wrong. So they came up with a way to explain, well, it is actually the half marathon problem. The Kessel run would be 20 parsecs long because there's only one safe navigable space through essentially what is this giant nebula. There was a way to take a shortcut through the Kessel run, but it is essentially suicide. It's all filled with asteroids and planetoids and uh, ionized gas and stuff, and lots of ships have tried, but they got destroyed. The 12 parsec thing was taking the shortcut through and the things that they needed to do to actually make that happen. But the way that they did it, they made it worse in some respects. They solved the parsec problem, but they made it worse. By injecting some of the unrefined coaxium into the fusion reactor, which allows them to escape in 12 parsecs rounded so down. So basically, let's just drop some nitro in the gas tank. The whole idea of being able to make the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs was they needed to be able to navigate that path, but also that the Millennium Falcon had to be fast enough, that it had to be the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. Well, it's not, because they used a one-time-only, can-never-be-repeated trick to boost the speed of the Millennium Falcon by dropping the raw coaxium into the fusion reactor so it would fly faster than it has ever flown and will never fly that fast again. So the Millennium Falcon is actually not the fastest hunk of chunk of the galaxy. They cheated by essentially dropping nitro in the gas tank. So again, they fixed the Parsec problem, but they did it in a dumb way. But I will address that because... I think they establish it being the fastest ship through navigation, not through necessarily speed. And they do that when they integrate L3's navigation computers into the Millennium Falcon. What I'm saying is when you're talking smuggler, speed is getting from point A to point B the fastest, right? Okay. So if you can do that through navigation, you're still the fastest ship. Because if you can make it from point A to point B... No, you're the smartest navigator. That doesn't mean you're the fastest ship. Did you make it from point A to point B the fastest? You're the fastest ship. So that's my argument on that, and that's why I'm okay with that. Before I introduce our next clip, let's go back to something that was discussed in episode one about our rating system. The aspect of our reviews, we should explain, what do we actually come up with for a rating system? Are we going to do like certain number of stars out of five? up to 100% letter grades or something like that? Nope. Mike came up with an interesting idea of a metaphorical rating system. Why don't we explain what that means, Mike? I came up with this metaphorical system where we would take something from the lore, something from whatever it is we're reviewing, and equate how we felt about that movie to that specific character or thing. A good example of our metaphorical rating system is our next clip from Episode 3, well, we reviewed the 2019 DC movie Shazam. Well, 
What are your final thoughts on Shazam and your metaphorical rating? Overall, I think this this is a good movie to watch once or twice. After that, it becomes a dumpster fire. Overall, I give this seven sins. Feels good at the time. It's very short-lived, and if you stop and think about it, you know it's wrong. Overall, the, the lazy writing becomes shallow and annoying, and I think anybody that watches it more than a few times is going to agree. For me, again, the bar is very low, but for me, this was my second favorite live-action DC movie behind only Wonder Woman. And for me, it was one of the few movies, and again, not just to pick on DC, but one of the few superhero movies in recent memory that had a very well-constructed story. I really like, regardless of the genre or type of film, I like it when the story connects. And there were definitely things that foreshadowing early in the movie, and then callbacks later in the, in the movie that connected the dots for good continuity from the beginning all the way through to the end. And I really liked that story construct. I also thought that it did a very good job. Not a great amount of depth, but I thought that it was a decent amount of both character development and plot development that was really well executed throughout. I also really liked the themes that were strong throughout the movie. The underlying theme of family, what does it mean to be a family, not just in the traditional definition of not the, you know, the family that we decide to become a part of as opposed to the one that we're born into. What does it mean to be a superhero? Trying to figure out how to actually accept both the positive and negative aspects of that reality. Overall, I found the movie to be incredibly entertaining, and I give it to Latin with my thumbs! Lighten with my thumbs. Lighten with my thumbs. Lighten with my thumbs. I wish you could see how angry Mike looks right now. <laughs> so you got the words and the cadence wrong on it. Everything was wrong about it. <laughs> so your review of my review is that everything was wrong about my review. What you said, I, I, I don't disagree with a lot of that stuff. I just think it's first couple of watchings, yeah. After that, no. I would have agreed with you the first time I watched it about it being one of the best DC movies. Now it is the second worst DC movie in my head. I think it is one of those movies. I mean, I understand the point that you're making. I really do think it is a movie that isn't going to stand up well to repeated viewings. But I would also argue it's probably also a movie that you're not going to be motivated to want to watch multiple times. Like if Shazam came on, and like when it goes on a streaming service or someone had it playing on DVD or Blu-ray when it came over their house, I wouldn't object to it. I don't think I would seek this movie out, though, and want to watch it specifically. This is a good background movie. Like if you're not going to pay attention to it, it's a great movie to have on in the background while you're doing other things. Fantastic for that. If you're going to pay attention to it, you're going to start to not like it. I agree. And I, I still think, again, that's exactly how this movie was written. I think it was written to not be viewed multiple times, to be enjoyable at a superficial level, and not to take too close of a look at it. And if you can do that, I think you will enjoy this movie. And I think the entire family will enjoy this movie, because again, like I said earlier, I think it's a great movie for introducing young kids to superheroes and getting them interested in it and understanding the realities of it, both the positive and negative aspects of it. That's why I give it to Latin with my thumbs, Latin with my thumbs. I can't sing, so I'm really annoying my...
And there's the eighth sin. <laughs> Up next is episode four, Time for Stories versus Reality, which was a short solo episode by me, Jim, revolving around spoiler-free reviews of the HBO miniseries Chernobyl and the Amazon Prime series Undone. Here's the clip. In this short episode, we're going to explore our perception of and relationship with time, how it affects the stories we tell about the past, and how those stories compare with reality. This episode features two television shows. The first TV show is the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, based on the actual nuclear power plant disaster that occurred in April 1986. happened on the night of the accident. Nothing the right question would be the truth. There is no truth. So in the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, we are traveling back in time to look at real historic events and people, which is why I chose it as one of the two shows to discuss time, stories, and reality. How accurate should our stories about the past be? How accurate can our own memories be? Chernobyl made me think about how we tell stories about the past, especially our own past, all the time. In fact, every time we remember something, we reimagine it. We create a story. We fictionalize our own past, our own reality. To slightly paraphrase Mark Twain, the only difference between reality and fiction is fiction needs to make sense. We fictionalize reality to make sense of it. But what happens when our fiction makes us lose our sense of reality? When we escape into our world of our own making and it starts to distort the way we see the world almost to the point of making it the only world we know. The second television series at the heart of this episode Amazon Prime series, Undone. Anything can happen in a dream. Yeah, well, when you're awake, you're in a physical-based reality, so it seems more real than a daydream or a dream, but those states are just as real. Some people's minds are more capable. They can see more, they can feel more, they can know more. Am I losing my mind, Dad? No. No. Uh, well, yes and, and no. Dreams of lifetimes of suffering are carried through your mind and body. Even the good feelings. You have to let go of those too. They can't be who you are if you want to be free. I greatly enjoyed the Amazon Prime series Undone. It was visually stunning and thought-provoking. The taglines for Undone ask, Would you change your life, would you change your reality, to change everything? They're very relatable questions, especially if you have ever experienced 
pain, and loss. Because of course you have. We're all human. In closing, I can't help but be reminded of some wise words from one of my favorite science fiction shows of all time, Doctor Who. In fact, it was the 11th Doctor who said, The way I see every life is a, is a pile of good things bad things. Good things don't always soften the bad things, but vice versa, the bad things don't necessarily spoil the good things or make them unimportant. So I want you to take some time to think about your reality, your story. And I'll leave you with more words from the 11th Doctor. You won't even remember me. Well, you'll remember me a little. There'll be a story in your head. That's okay. Not all stories in the end. Just make it a good one, eh? Are you looking for some great indie podcasts to listen to? Check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com, where you can find a list of great indie podcasts, get links to their official websites, and even listen to some of their episodes without needing to create an account or log in. Here's an example of one of the great indie podcasts you can find on Pod Nation. Hello, everybody. I'm Ross. What's the crack? And I'm Rock. And this is our podcast, I Understood That Reference. We cover all corners of the pop culture spectrum, including movies, comics, which is my favorite, games, and everything in between. With their own unique mix of games, trivia, and little insight, all wrapped up in Irish accents. And of course, the tin whistle. <laughs> so get up them stairs and download this podcast into your ears. I'm Ross. And I'm Rob. And this has been I Understood That Reference. Available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podchaser, and whenever else decent podcasts are available. Yay! So once again, for some great indie podcasts, check out the Pod Nation list on Podchaser.com. Up next is episode five, which was more like the hater and the hater, because for the first time both I and Mike had very few positive things to say during a movie review. In episode 5, we took on the highly hyped 2019 film, The Joker. Although our actual episode does contain spoilers, as we mentioned off the top, the following clip, like all clips in this episode, are spoiler-free. So don't be concerned if you have not yet seen The Joker. Here is our spoiler-free review. We are going to talk about the new Joker movie. Spoiler-free first impressions for those who have not seen the movie yet. Do you want to start us off with that, Jim? I had low expectations going in, and my low expectations were at war with the fact that so many people were warning me that my expectations will be thwarted or will be subverted by what I might expect. I largely found the movie to be boring. I kept waiting for things to get interesting or at least something that would make me feel strongly one way or the other. And it just never happened. I expected more out of this movie. I think this could have been a very, very good movie, but I just felt like they played with the art to the point that they lost the story. 
If you're a film student or a cinephile where you're in love with cinematography and camera angles and, oh, they did this with this body to demonstrate blah, blah, blah. If that's what you like about movies, you may love this movie. But if you go to a movie for a good story, you have those people that will tell you a story that they find interesting and the whole time you're just waiting for it to get interesting mm -hmm. and it never does and they get, they get done, you're like, was that it? Was I supposed to react to that? That's what this movie is. The thing was, like, through the movie, I kept waiting for it to get interesting because there's so many points in it that it could have been interesting. Yes. This, this movie could have been amazing if they would have focused on the story they were trying to tell. And they just kept losing focus on that story just to focus on, hey, we need to try to get some awards for this movie. That's how I saw it, at least. And I found it ridiculous, and it missed the point. I th it missed the mark. I agree. There were definitely points where it's like, okay, something's about to happen that's going to make me sit up a little bit in my chair and start to take interest. They're going to turn in this into something interesting at some point. Nope. So, yeah. yeah. It was very beguiling in, in that respect. And parts of it, too, is because leading up to the movie, because it went to all these film festivals and there's so much hype around it, and there's all these warnings about all the disturbing imagery that's going on, I kept expecting it to develop more and to be more. And everybody's talking about how, how disturbing it was and how you felt so uncomfortable the whole time, and I didn't at all. <laughs> Oh, yeah. When we were walking into the movie theater, there was a sign on the door out front of the movie theater that was specific to this movie. And it said, this is not your typical comic book film and is only intended for mature audiences. Rated R for strong, bloody violence, disturbing behavior, language and brief sexual images. None of that applies to this movie. Not really. There's there's three bloody scenes, but only two of them are really even remotely strong or disturbing. And even those are, they're pretty light. You see a lot worse in John Wick and, and movies like that. You see a lot worse violence in television shows. Yeah, exactly. This was not a, a violent, disturbing movie. I'm sorry, but Walking Dead has had bloodier, gorier scenes. Oh, for sure. Than anything that was in this movie. So I'm sorry, but I don't understand this whole, oh my God, this movie is very disturbing. The actual violent content of this movie, I'm sorry, but it's laughable. This movie did not need to be rated R. There was no strong language. There was no... The brief sexual images were pictures of naked women that flash on the screen briefly. There's been more nudity on television! This could be put on television without a, a, without a, a TVMA rating. To me, it's almost like a marketing gimmick. That they rated it R and they did it... Oh, be very careful about going to this movie. You'll find it disturbing. It's not disturbing. I think it is also very, very important to state, and I think that a lot of people are getting this confused coming into it, this is not a comic book movie. No. It is based off of a comic book character, but it is not a comic book movie. Not only is it not a comic book movie, it is not a Batman movie. No, not at all. It's barely even a Joker movie, really. It's barely really. even a Joker movie. We had talked about, before we saw this movie, we talked about possibly rolling this into, hey, let's talk about different versions of the Joker and how they possibly tie together or anything like that. We decided against it because this is so not a Joker movie that we didn't feel right even comparing it because it's so different. I greatly appreciate the actual Joker character in Batman comic books. 
uh, movies and animated series and shows, and I think it's a fascinating character. I refuse to acknowledge this film as contributing to that character. I agree with you. And that's, I mean, the Joker is a very strong character with so much to it. The last 10 minutes of the movie, yeah, that was pretty close to a Joker that I could see. But other than that, no, not even a little bit. The Joker's actual origins in the comic books have been rather either obscured or multiple different origins. So I know I wasn't expecting, oh, they had to to do it a certain way because there are different ways to do it. I can't even accept this as an alternate origin story for the character. I'm sorry, I reject it as being part of it. I would even say, if you took out... They went out of their way, like you said, to to connect this to Batman. If you take the Waynes and Gotham City out of this movie, it could just be called Killer Clown or something. From outer space! From outer space! It doesn't even have to be connected to Batman in any way whatsoever. They wouldn't even have to take a lot out of this movie. Just don't set it in Gotham. And don't mention the Wayne family at all, and just give the movie a different name. So that's the other thing that annoyed me about it, and why I don't connect it to the character, is because you heavy-handedly connected it to uh, the Batman. This is a movie based on a character that is one of my favorite characters, and I never want to see this movie again. I hope you at home can appreciate, if Mike doesn't want to see a movie more than once, there's something wrong with that movie. Yeah, I watch movies repeatedly because I love picking out little details and stuff that are in there. And this one, no. There's only two other comic book movies that I've ever not wanted to watch again. That's the second Ghost Rider movie and Dark Phoenix. So Joaquin Phoenix, everyone is talking about how amazing he is in this movie and how he's going to be nominated for awards. He did a good job. I wouldn't say he did a great job, Mm -hmm. but he did a good job. I believed he was that character through the whole thing, so I oh, mean, yeah. he did a good job there. Like you had said earlier, there were ways that this could have been a good movie, but maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm so mad about it. There, were, there was potential in this movie that was just unrealized. I almost feel like the director took this movie in a way where he was mocking movies that get awards, and now he's possibly getting awards. Or at least there, there have been talking awards for this movie already, and it just came out. Oh, it won awards at the film festivals. Yeah. That, that I think at the Venice Film Festival and maybe also the Toronto Film Festival. So it did win awards there. Those types of festivals are for cinephiles and students and yes. stuff like that. And again, if you're looking at this movie from that angle, it probably is a very good movie. There's a reason why those are separate categories and for like editing and for cinematography and stuff like that. Many times you see some of the movies that don't win for like acting and directing and picture win some of those other awards. And I definitely agree. There are some aspects of this film from a cinematography standpoint deserve award recognition. If it's nominated, that's one thing. But this is not an Academy Award winning film. In my opinion, this is not an Academy Award winning performance by Joaquin Phoenix, in my opinion. Up next is episode six. This is the first episode where we were joined by a special guest. Mike's best friend Brandon dropped by for a roundtable discussion about the best and worst Star Wars movie and speculation about what will happen in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker coming to theaters in December 2019. This clip from the episode focuses entirely on a brief 
snapshot of our speculation about the rise of Skywalker. And the actual episode contains excerpts from the first and second official trailers for the movie. But I did sneak into the following clip a brief excerpt from the third and final trailer for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So let's roll the clip for episode six now. It's an instinct, a feeling. The Force brought us together. Good people will fight if we lead them. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. But I do. Long have I waited. And now... Coming together. Is your undoing. What are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends. Confronting fear. Destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. What are you expecting is going to happen in episode nine? My like really deepest, darkest hope is that both Kylo and Rey go gray. Because really, I mean, if you're talking about balance to the force, right? Mm -hmm. You need both of them. It's a fan theory. This is not a spoiler. Palpatine (laughs) created Anakin in the force in order to be like the ultimate dark side. Maybe like Yoda or Luke created Rey as the balance of someone created by the force to represent the light to really bring balance of the force. It could be. I yeah. always like the idea of her being a Kenobi. Kenobi had a child that wasn't known to him. That person had a child, and that was Rey. The he- Kenobi series introduces who he gets pregnant, and then we meet that woman later on The Mandalorian. Kenobi was a devout Jedi, though. I mean, he actually like practiced the religion. He didn't just give it limp service. But, like is, but what is still considered canon, though, is the Clone Wars animated series. And there was him getting his groove thing on on Mandalore with Attachment is forbidden. It doesn't mean they can't bang it out. (laughs) During Clone Wars, they did their thing. He didn't know that she had a child, etc., etc. I thought the idea of uh, her being a Palpatine, granddaughter, great-granddaughter or whatever, would kind of make up Anakin super dark. And, uh, well, I'd say Luke is probably the most gray. 
You've also got Leia, who is light, and her son was dark. So it'd be interesting to have his granddaughter be light. How are you thinking that story-wise makes sense that she could be a Palpatine? Mostly it would explain where her Force sensitivity would come from. Oh, why? She's just so super powerful. Yeah. Was like Palpatine like suppressing her ability, and then they said, it's time for you to yeah. be Force aware yeah. and Force powerful? Because that was one of the things that a lot of people were complaining about. Ray goes from like zero to 100 on yeah. Force strength in The Force Awakens from like having little to no knowledge of the Force, and all of a sudden she's just as powerful as Kylo Ren. Well, they did the same thing with Luke. Did fight Vader, be barely trained. But yeah. but unlike Ray, he got his ass kicked. Ray held yeah. her own and essentially was beating Kylo Ren until the earthquake kind of separates the two. Kylo says that you know her parents were drunks that basically sold her on Jakku. I read that him <laughs> as him being Darth Dick. I didn't read that scene as him telling her the truth. I saw him trying to like break her, manipulate the situation, manipulate her psychologically. It's like you're nobody. So if you want to be someone, come with me. Yeah, that was what I took out of it as well. I'm confused by the name Rise of Skywalker. Does that mean that Ray's a Skywalker? No, what I think it means is that Skywalker's going to become like the new name for whatever little sect comes up next. I've read that, that the name Skywalker is supposed to mean extremely Force-sensitive. And so See, the idea of the, the Rise of Skywalker is supposed to be the Rise of Force-sensitivity. So either. is that basically... so? No one will be called Jedi anymore. They'll be called Skywalkers. I think that Luke or Anakin or whoever, they've become so well-known in Force sensitivity. It's just a name that you call it. I have a question. Is there much knowledge in the public that Vader was Anakin? He's inside the mask, and very few people other than the people on Mustafar that are basically his servants are probably usually the only ones that would see him out of it. He's so disfigured that it's going to be hard to tell. Yeah, that's true. He's just so completely disfigured. Why would you connect that person to the other? I think it's implied that some characters, like Grand Moff Tarkin, knew Anakin as Anakin. Right. And and then knows Darth Vader. But yeah, I don't know how many people connected the dots, because maybe what Kenobi told Luke in A New Hope was kind of like the PR line, Anakin Skywalker's dead. They didn't want anyone to equate Darth Vader with him. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. It seems to be not a guarded secret in The Force Awakens because Kylo Ren is basically a huge Darth Vader fanboy. Yeah, and he's collecting Anakin artifacts, his lightsaber. Well, is he collecting Anakin or Vader? So where I'm going with that is what I was saying. If they just start calling people with Force sensitivity Skywalker, is that going to equate to Vader in the public mind? Or is that going to be, oh yeah, Anakin was an amazing Jedi, and then Luke was an amazing Jedi, so Skywalkers are what you want to be. I don't think it was necessarily hidden, I just don't think it was advertised. Vader-Anakin part? The Vader-Anakin part. But at the same time, people are going to go, well, this guy had to show up from somewhere, where'd he come from? Even in The Force Awakens, they have Rey, when they meet Han Solo, she's like, I thought the Jedi and the Sith were just myths. Do you think that J.J. Abrams is going to try to retcon anything that happened in The Last Jedi? Yes. I, I absolutely will. Oh, we, just got, we got a, a definitive yes and a definitive no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's going to have to retcon the Ray's parentage thing by just saying that he was lying. But otherwise, I don't think he can. Because if he retcons stuff from that episode, then he's just completely crapping on everything and, and ruins the saga. So I think he just has to go with what's there and keep moving forward. I think he's going to 
he's obviously going to have to retcon Ray's parents. I think he's going to do that. And I think he's going to make Snoke a bigger deal. Oh, you think he might, he might just not retcon, but actually there'll be some flashback scenes? Yeah, something he, like he's going to have to reestablish stuff that wasn't brought up in the last episode I that should have been. Do you care if any of the other characters other than Ray get killed? I don't be, care at all if they, yeah. put, if they just tell a good story. I wouldn't care if everybody died. I think that would actually be a badass ending. Yeah, that, that's was, the full Shakespeare. At the end of a lot of Shakespeare's tragedies, everybody dies. I would probably be mad, but in my head, I think that's a fucking hilarious thing to do. What if, at the <laughs> end of it, all those Star Destroyers show up and then Captain Marvel just comes in and destroys <laughs> them all? punching <laughs> shit. <laughs> or Yoda shows up, he's wearing the Infinity Glock, and he goes, yeah. Yoda, so, I am! <laughs> the whole galaxy goes away. <laughs> fucking Solve that equation. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's been wondering how they're going to bring everything together at Disney. <laughs> Tony Stark's the Force Ghost. Tony that would Stark, be awesome. That would be awesome. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Up next is episode seven. I am the goddamn Batman. In this episode, we discussed Batman, including who has played the character best in live-action and animated portrayals, and what future Batman stories, and in what format, we would like to see. I broke up the clips for this episode into two different parts. This first clip is a short snippet of the conversation with Mike about who he thought played Batman best both live action and in animation. There's a difference between playing Bruce Wayne and playing Batman. Are we really talking about two different characters? Yeah, we really are. That's exactly the point that a lot of people tend to make. Batman is basically who Bruce Wayne feels like he is. Bruce Wayne is a character he portrays to throw the scent off so people don't think that he's Batman. The only reason Bruce Wayne exists is for Wayne Enterprises and to protect Alfred and Dick Grayson and those that are connected to him on a personal level. A lot of actors play Batman really well, but then when they go to play Bruce Wayne, they don't really play much different. Basically, playing Batman even when they're not wearing the cape. Yeah, exactly. They're not separating the two characters. I have a very controversial opinion on this on who played the part the best live action. I actually think Val Kilmer did the best playing both because he did separate the two. He played a good Bruce Wayne. He played a pretty good Batman. He wasn't great at either, but he balanced the two probably the best. For most of us that are in the Batman world, Kevin Conroy is really the Batman. He's done the most movies. They were animated movies until the live action appearance he's going to have. Well, end series. You mean he did the best job playing Batman or Bruce Wayne and Batman? Kevin Conroy didn't really know much about Batman when he got cast as this role. And he started reading about it and looking at it. And when he came in, he goes, you know what? I want to do Batman and Bruce Wayne in different voices because I feel like they should be separate characters. And he was the first one to approach it that way. And he did that perfectly. His Batman is very Batman, and his Bruce Wayne is very Bruce Wayne. So when I say he is the Batman, it's because he was the first one to separate the characters, and he did them both so well. 
I don't know who's going to live up to that standard live action. In this second clip from episode 7, I am the goddamn Batman, Mike helps us better understand the character of Batman. The main rogues gallery of Batman are based on different parts of his personality. Two-Face is his duality between Bruce Wayne and Batman. The Penguin is his richness. The Riddler is his ability to think. The Joker is his insanity. Just a completely different insanity than Joker's insanity. His need for vengeance has driven him insane. If Batman's insane and he's driven by the desire for vengeance, why doesn't he kill? Too easy to cross that line. And once he crosses that line, he knows he'll never go back. Once he crosses that line and kills Joker, that opens up the door to killing everybody. And then where's the line? Where does the line become? Does he kill every rapist? Does he kill every mugger? To him, once he crosses that line, he is no longer for justice. He becomes full-on vengeance. So he will not cross that line. And he's fueled by the vengeance of the murder of his parents. What is giving him that moral center to say he won't cross that line? He's not driven by vengeance for the murder of his parents. He's driven by, I don't want what happened to me to ever happen to somebody else. He's not trying to avenge the death of his parents. Right. He's trying to save people from having to go through that. Batman never crosses the line of killing someone. Why are people so intimidated by Batman? He has spent his entire life honing everything he possibly can to perfection. That's the fear. If he wants to hurt you, you will be hurt. Not only can he hurt you if he wants to, but he's such a good tactician that by reacting so quickly because he doesn't have to stop and think about it, because he sees and he pieces everything together so quickly and so well. I think that's what makes Batman such an interesting character, is not only can he hang with the Justice League, being just a normal person with no actual powers, but he also can be a leader of the Justice League and one of the most feared and most powerful members of the Justice League, just simply with his mind. Last but certainly not least, we come to episode 8. We are the gosh darn teen titans! Where we discuss two DC animated movies, the 2018 Teen Titans Go to the Movies, and the 2019 Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. The following clip focuses more on the discussion that began and ended the episode, and it was a discussion about animation more specifically, comic book and superhero animation, and why, even though it may be perceived by many this way, it's not just for kids. Is animation just for kids? I don't think it is. We have different circles of friends. We have a very nerdy circle of friends where the A word is not a bad word. If you talk about animation, people are interested in it, but I have other friends that equate animation equals kid stuff. Yeah, that's pretty common thinking. For me, a lot of my favorite stuff is animated. In my mind, cartoon is a kid's version of animation, and then animation is just a wide, encompassing, anything artistic drawn, more or less, in any form. 
There's a lot of animated, very adult-oriented animated stuff. And even a lot of the cartoons, like the more kids stuff, has a lot of adult humor behind it as well, just to make it bearable for the (laughs) parents while the kids are watching it, I think. But I think it adds another level as well. Yeah, I agree. Animation in general, I think it's come a long way since when I was growing up. It it was very much animation was considered a children's entertainment. Nowadays, we have, I can't help but think of The Simpsons, which has now been on for over 25 years now. So The Simpsons is like mainstream animation. We also have some mainstream that's a bit more adult-oriented, like South Park and Family Guy. Hmm. Uh, But we also have a lot more television networks, like Cartoon Network. And yeah, a lot of that stuff is kid-oriented programming. But like I said, even in that stuff, there is things for adults, for the adults that are unfortunately watching it with the kids, because I think a lot of times adults are not watching it with their children because they want to, maybe because they're concerned about their kids, what they're watching, or just to make it more of a family experience. But there definitely are a lot of jokes and a lot of children's programming that are only for kids. Sorry, that are only for adults. Well, there are jokes that are also only for kids, but also jokes only for adults. You had just said earlier that some of your favorite stuff is animated, and I would say that that is also true for me. We are talking about superhero animation in this episode, which some people, even when you bring up superheroes, which we've talked about a lot before, we love the fact that we're living in an era where comic books and superhero movies are more mainstream. Mm. So geek and nerd culture in that respect has gone mainstream. I think that's one of the other things that I dislike it in general when people dismiss animation Mm -hmm. as being childish, or even when people say the same thing about comic books and superhero movies, even the live action movies that have become more mainstream, is that there is still a sophisticated level of writing and character development and plot development. And in some cases, I actually think some of the animated stuff actually has better storytelling and better character and plot development and the stuff that's not geared specifically to children. I don't really have a lot of evidence to back this up, but I believe when you are writing and, and working on an animated version of these things, you're spending a lot more time with the characters. And most of the time, the people working on it are big fans of it. Rather than just being hired on just to write this thing, they're big fans of it that want to be involved with it. And that's why you're getting the better and more complete storylines is because they're fans that understand the characters and where the storylines should go in a better way. And when I say some of my favorite stuff is animated, a lot of it is a superhero stuff. And I think what we run into is when you're, you're trying to adapt something from a comic book into something for TV or movies, live action is restricted simply by you have to try to make people do these weird things that they do in the comic books that isn't physically really possible and there's there's limitations to CG whereas animated you can make them actually do it and there's no limit you can have Batman jump from rooftop to rooftop across the street which nobody can actually do that but it looks okay in animation it doesn't look as forced as it does in live action you don't have to worry about the stuntman getting hurt right yeah (laughs) Yeah, the laws of physics don't apply in the world of animation, so you can be more imaginative in that, and I think that that opens things up to, and it doesn't necessarily mean it, it turns it into Wiley E. Coyote cartoonish type stuff. I mean, there still can be very well done action sequences mm-hmm. done in animation as well. There definitely is animation that is kid-oriented. 
But for me, when I take a look at animation, I don't see it really as that different of a medium. Because regardless of how you're consuming other television shows that you might be watching or movies, there are characters that are superheroes, even though they wear a different type of costume. They have different masks. If you like procedural shows and you see police officers or firefighters or doctors are the heroes, they're wearing costumes and masks too. Spoiler alert, those are actors. They're not really cops, doctors, and firefighters. And we look at those shows where they have aspects of them where they're doing the day-to-day nuances of being a police officer or being a doctor. But there's also like these overarching messages of hope and interpersonal dynamics and conflict. And we look at those shows and we take them seriously. I don't understand why we can't do the same thing with animation. Adult stories may wear different masks, but the messages aren't really all that different. It still comes back to a life lesson by example or allegory. So in the case of the Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans, one of it was making peace with your own inner demons, the Raven character, trying to be the best version of yourself. You can look at that as the Robins. And even the way that that movie ends, you're a superhero too, in your own weird way. So that whole idea is like, there's not just one way to be a hero. There's not just one way to be a person. There's not just one way to tell a story. And you can have meaningful stories that can connect with you on a human level. Sometimes those are live-action shows that we think as grown-up shows. But there's also plenty of shows like that that are animated that may seem at the surface to be more geared towards children. But don't write them off as that. I think that they should be appreciated as a form of entertainment that also can say something meaningful. So in closing, we have come to the end of In Case You Missed It, Volume 1. This episode again was composed of clips from the first eight episodes of our podcast as a primer for new listeners so that they can have an easier way to discover what our podcast is about, what our name means and doesn't mean, and what topics we discuss on this podcast, how we approach them. Hopefully all listeners may also find this a helpful way to decide which of those previous episodes you might like to listen to in their entirety. For final thoughts, I'd actually like to play a part of what were the final thoughts of our very first episode to address something which is probably rather obvious after you just heard the clips about what we have covered so far on our podcast. Oftentimes in our discussions, we we tend to focus a lot or always come back to comic book movies and Star Wars because that's a strong basis of our fandom. It's what we love the most, so that's what we compare a lot of things to. But that's not the only thing we love. I know for me, I'm, I'm also a big Jim Carrey fan. I love comedies in general. I love action movies like The Expendables. I love those <laughs> movies. They are fantastically horrible. Yes. So we have other interests. We're not just fanboys and haters of comic book movies and of Star Wars. We will talk about other things. In part, the Star Wars and superhero is where our fandoms overlap the most. Yeah. We have a lot of uh, things that we like separately, but we overlap the most there. But yeah, we are interested in other topics. I do like a lot of science fiction, so I will talk about that a lot. But I also like comedies as well and dramas, and some criminal procedurals, and psychological thrillers. 
So we will get to other topics. So we just ask for your patience. If you're not into Star Wars or superhero movies, that's okay. It's okay not to be. But don't write us off as that's the only thing that these guys talk about. And we may even jump into other things like video games. We may even do some episodes on music. We're not only fanboys of TV and movies. We are fanboys and haters of everything pop culture. We hope that you tune in and listen to more of our episodes. We would be honored if you would join us. It is your destiny. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.